Jesus comes loudly and softly. Our text on this Palm Sunday morning is going to be Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this day that we might once again see the triumphal entry of your Son. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to see and understand your word and help us by the power of the Spirit to do it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were driving down a little dusty road through the redwood forest of Northern California and was very dry, so all the cars were kicking up huge clouds of dust. Suddenly, coming toward us through the dusty haze were four figures. As we got closer, we were surprised to see that they were four Amish teenagers wandering through the redwood forest. What were they doing walking through a cloud of dust? When Messiah came on Palm Sunday through a cloud of dust, everyone would have understood what he was doing. A huge, loud crowd of Jewish festival goers was coming up the winding road in the Kidron Valley, up to Jerusalem through a cloud of dust. There was a man riding on a donkey, and all were surprised to see Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. And it says there, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Jesus would have come up the steep road from Jericho. There would have been an ascent coming from a very low point, one of the lowest places on earth. He would have been coming up from Jericho on the road up to the heights of the Mount of Olives. There would have been the Kidron Valley and then an ascent up to the mountain city of Jerusalem. Jesus would have come up to the heights of the Mount of Olives to the village of Bethphage. The Mount of Olives, where Messiah comes to, is rich in symbolism. If you go there to this day, you will see that it's lined with graves, packed in with gravestones. Jews want to be buried on the Mount of Olives. In fact, to the point where they're running out of room to bury people on the Mount of Olives. And why would this be? Because in Jewish tradition, this is where the resurrection begins. In fact, so much so that there's rabbinic tradition that Jews who died outside the land, Jews who died in the exile in places like Babylon, that there's tunnels under the ground, and on the last day they will tumble down and rise up on the Mount of Olives to greet Messiah. But I think there's something biblical about this too that's very important. We see when the glory of the Lord departed from the temple in the days of Ezekiel, when the temple had become filled with idols, when the people of God had rejected God's law, the Shekinah glory departed. Now remember, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, came into the tabernacle when it was finished. And when the people settled in the land, in the days of Solomon, and the temple was built, the glory of the Lord came into the temple. It was the presence of God with the people of God. But at the end of this story, in the days of the exile, where God is bringing destruction to Jerusalem and judgment on his people, it says this in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that was on the east side of the city, the Mount of Olives. 
And from there, the presence of God, the glory of God departed from Israel. But what do we see here in our text this morning? The glory of the Lord departed from Israel from the Mount of Olives, but now it returns. Jesus, God in the flesh, is the presence of God with the people of God. Jesus, God in the flesh, is the fullness and representation of all that the law had put forward, all that the temple had represented. Jesus now returns to the Mount of Olives, going on to verse 2 in Matthew 21, saying to them, to these two disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Jesus is coming to Bethphage, Bethphage, Bet, house of Phage, new figs, the house of new figs. Israel is represented in the Old Testament as the fig tree. The glory of the Lord is coming to do something new on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus sends his two disciples to get a mother donkey and a colt, a young donkey. Why were the two disciples' requests so readily accepted? Well, the easy answer would be God predestined it. God determined it before the foundation of the world that on this day, at the specific time and place, Jesus would send for the donkey and the colt and it would be done. But there's more to this as well in time and space. Everybody knows Jesus is coming. Everybody knows who Jesus is in Judea, particularly in the regions around Jerusalem and in the villages of Bethany and Bethphage where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29, right before our text, it says this, and they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So coming up that rocky ascent up from Jericho, a great crowd is already with Jesus. They're loud. They're singing, and as they go along the way and pass by festival goers heading up to Jerusalem, they join in as well. As they pass through villages along the way, more people gather in, and as they come up with this great crowd, the request goes forth. The Lord has need of the donkey and its colt. Going on to verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a beast of burden. This prophecy is from Zechariah chapter nine. Why a donkey? You ever wondered about that? Why a donkey? Why are donkeys always used in Israel? We see in the book of Judges that judges ride on donkeys. We see the kings and princes in Israel ride on donkeys. Why donkeys? Because donkeys are smart. You can't whip donkeys into a frenzy to charge into danger like you can with horses. And so donkeys are beasts of burden and donkeys are animals of peace. It's the least warlike and most royal animal in Israel, but here Messiah rides on a colt So he would have come with the mother donkey here so that the young donkey wouldn't stampede and Jesus rides on the young donkey itself. A beast of burden and an animal of extreme peace that has never carried a burden on itself. And the message is clear from Jesus. I come in peace. The Prince of Peace 
comes bringing a message of peace on a mission to bring peace. Jesus is coming to the height of the Mount of Olives high above Jerusalem. He's fulfilling prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse four it says, on that day his feet, the Lord's feet, shall touch the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Everybody understood that when Messiah comes, he was coming to the Mount of Olives. The air is electric, kids. People are excited. They've heard about this Jesus. They've seen this Jesus. Many people have experienced the miracles of Jesus. Everybody's wondering, is he Messiah? And is he coming at just the right moment? Going on to verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and everybody is all in. Can you imagine what it would be like to be there at that moment in time? Jesus has been ministering all over Judea, all over Galilee. He's even gone into places like Samaria. Everybody knows about Jesus and they're wondering, is he Messiah? And here he comes! just like the scripture says Messiah would come. Nothing else matters. People put their cloaks onto the young donkey so that Jesus can ride on them like a saddle. They're throwing their cloaks into the road. We don't get this because we got new clothing and we need new clothing and we head over to Kohl's and we got our coupons out and it costs $10 for a jacket on sale. We go on vacation, we lose it. Oh, no big whoop, right? Well, in the first century, if you had a cloak, it was a very valuable treasure. Most of the common folk had one cloak. It was handmade, and that's why the law says when you take a cloak and pledge for a debt, you give it back to the person before the sun goes down. But here people are taking perhaps their most valuable treasure, and they're throwing them into the dust on the road before Jesus as he rides along. Kids, you see how you all have palm branches? Why? Because that's what the people did on the day of the triumphal entry at that first Palm Sunday. They're throwing their cloaks, their treasures before the king. They're cutting branches, and what branches would those be? They would be palm branches in Israel. They're throwing them on the road, and they're likely holding them in their hands, which is the traditional welcome of a king going back to the day of the Maccabees. Lying in the background, almost 200 years before this day that we see in scripture, the Maccabees threw off their Gentile overlords. The Greeks who had come in and conquered Israel, who had come in and defiled the temple, even slaughtered a pig on the very altar in the temple. And they started a war. And they threw the Gentiles off. And when they came in victorious into the city of Jerusalem and they cleansed the temple, they came with palm branches just like they do here. But what else is going on? Why are these cloaks going down into the dust? Why are these palm branches being thrown down onto the road where Jesus is going? Well, it's about dust. It's about dust. Jesus is riding above the dust. The people are throwing their cloaks down and their branches down so that Jesus riding on this donkey, the hoofs of which don't touch the dust. Why? Because dust is a curse. Back at the fall in Genesis chapter three, verse 19, it says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. And so here comes Jesus, riding above the dust. Jesus is trampling down the curse of the dust. Jesus is coming to reverse the curse for Israel and for his people through this age. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse nine, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus the Messiah is coming. So the crowd is singing the culmination of what's known as the Egyptian Hallel. The Egyptian Hallel. Hallel in Hebrew means praise or hallelujah. The Hallel consists of Psalm 113 through 118. It originated in the days of Moses, 1,500 years before this first Palm Sunday. It was set down in scripture by David around 1000 BC. And this section here, the Hallel, is very important. For you see that at the festivals, the pilgrim feasts of Israel, the three main feasts, the people sang the Egyptian Hallel. But in particular, in the morning and evening at the Passover, the people sang these psalms on the way to Jerusalem and when they got to Jerusalem, and they sang it in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord in anticipation that one day when they sang it, Messiah would come. And that which Israel had practiced for so long, over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, even a millennia, they've been singing these psalms, anticipating that Messiah would come. One day we'll be singing these songs, we'll be doing the Hallel, and Messiah will come, and here he comes. That which was longed for is now done for real. Jesus is coming with a massive and growing crowd down from the heights of the Mount of Olives. You see, Jerusalem's not a very large city, 50, 60,000 people, but it swells up during the pilgrim feast. In particular, the highest of those feasts, the Passover, the city's population would have swelled to hundreds of thousands, sometimes even millions of people. All the inns in Jerusalem would have been crowded. All the inns at the little towns and villages around, like Bethany and Bethphage, would have been crowded. People rented out their fields so the pilgrims could camp on them. And as Jesus is coming up with a great crowd already from Jericho, all these pilgrims are joining in and they're thousands upon thousands and thousands coming to the height of the Mount of Olives and looking down upon Jerusalem and into the Kidron Valley. From the Mount of Olives, Jesus is coming, descending into the Kidron Valley and up the road through the Golden Gate into the temple. The land there is rocky like this. A little bit of soil, lots of rock underneath. That's why we've got the parable of the sower. So can you imagine going down the Kidron Valley and its natural amplification with the crowd of thousands upon thousands and Jesus is coming and the crowd with him is shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now look at what we have here. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you look at your Psalms, you'll see that they're written in a peculiar way. You'll see that the first part of the verse goes all the way to the end of the page, and then the next one, part of it is indented. Why? Well, scholars think that this is probably for antiphonal use. So either you'd have a cantor or song leader who would sing that first part that goes to the edge of the page, and then the congregation would respond with the other half. Or you could divide your synagogue in half. 
You could have one half of the synagogue, perhaps women and then men. The women would sing one part and the men would respond with the other. Many scholars believe that's what's going on here. Jesus is coming and the crowd with him is shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is coming and the crowd on the wall of Jerusalem that goes all the way up to the edge of the temple is shouting back, we bless you from the house of the Lord. It must have been amazing. It must have been electrifying. It must have been cacophonous. Jesus is coming. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The city, this smaller city, would have already been familiar with Jesus. People all across Judea would have been familiar with Jesus. People across the regions of Galilee and Samaria would have been familiar with Jesus. But there's likely large hordes and crowds of festival goers, of Jews who live beyond the edge of the Roman Empire, from the far reaches of Germania, down the Silk Road into Central Asia, out into the Parthian Empire, which today is Iran. There would have been festival goers who've only heard about Jesus, who haven't seen him, who haven't experienced the miracles of Jesus, and they're wondering these questions. Who is this? I think that's key. Sounds like an echo from something we've been doing the last several weeks, doesn't it? If you look at the psalm that we've been reciting as our call to worship, it's drawn from Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is a King of glory. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, and Jesus is coming to Jerusalem again. Jesus is coming to the new Jerusalem at the end of this age. He's coming for his people the new Jerusalem, the body of Christ, the new Israel. He's coming for us again at the end of this age, but there's gonna be a difference. Jesus rides softly on Palm Sunday. He comes on an animal of peace. He comes bringing a message of peace and reconciliation with God. It's the prince of peace bringing the peace of God, but when he comes again for the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem at the end of the age, he's coming on a white war horse to bring judgment and to bring justice and to bring in the age to come. Jesus is coming at the end of this age to conquer all enemies. War will be banished, economic depressions will be terminated, disease will be shattered, and death will be destroyed. Glory, hallelujah. On a November day in 2012, Jose Alvarez and a friend went on a day and a half fishing trip off the coast of southern Mexico. They were caught in a storm that lasted five days, which destroyed their motor and all of their equipment and left them drifting in the Pacific Ocean. Living off of fish, turtles, and rainwater, Alvarez's shipmate lost hope, got sick, and died after four months. After this, Alvarez nearly lost hope as well, but faith in God sustained him for over a year at sea until he came ashore in the Marshall Islands over 6,000 miles from where he started. We can lose hope too. When we become ill, when we lose our jobs, 
when we see our retirement accounts evaporate in a few weeks, but we must remember that Jesus already came in his triumphal entry and that he's coming again to set all things, all things right. This morning in the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen that Jesus is coming. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who came in triumph to prepare the last chapter of his mission and to fulfill it. And we thank you that he's coming again. Bless us to rejoice in this knowledge and to prepare for Holy Week, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.